one constant in college rugby is change. And there has been monumental changes in the last 15 years. Welcome back, everyone, to the next edition of the FCC podcast. Uh, it's Kirk Swanner here. Also joining me is Evan Haig. Today is going to be a real short and sharp uh, podcast. You know, as we get down to the end of this season, uh, this has by far been the best season so far. Teams are tight. Just a couple games left in the season, and it is going to be a wild finish. Every game matters. Incredibly important for those uh, playoff standings. Um, so, yeah, I just want to just get a couple things lessened, uh, banged out here real quick so that we guys – so we, we're not just focusing just on the playoffs, but also want to make sure we have our eyes open and eyes up for the future. So um, first things first I want to talk about is student leadership uh, turnovers and over elections. So um, I think one of the best practices we can do is to do – our student leadership turnover now before your president is gone. Specifically, if you have student uh, senior leaders that are or senior presidents that won't be around next year, get that next crop in, um, and yeah, get that so that we can try to turn over as much institutional knowledge as possible so we don't lose it. So, uh, I think Raul, he at Bessie at UCF Women's, he's got a great rule. Evan, you want to talk about his his president rule about what he does yeah, not allow. So so he's got a really interesting president. Well, he doesn't allow his seniors to be members of the executive board and more particularly not ever be the president of the team. Uh, what that does is that usually the senior graduating players, they're, they're more distracted in their final year and they don't care as much. Um, and it's not fault of theirs. They've just been through a lot of years of school and they're just ready to get out. And it tends to make for better leadership. It also allows those senior players that were leaders before to keep that institutional knowledge passed on. And I think that was something really interesting, Kirk, you know, when you talk about these elections, I wasn't ever thinking of electing my people in the spring break period right now, but that was some of the, and when talking with Murray a couple of weeks ago, that really popped out to me that like, this is what I should be doing it now and doing that transfer of knowledge so we don't lose it. And that's the same principle. Raul talks about here is it's all about trying to keep that institutional knowledge in-house. And so we don't have too much step backwards when you change leadership. Um, I think that's really important. Yeah. So if you haven't been talking to players, you need to do that. And we need to be doing that here quickly because we only have a couple weeks, you know, maybe four or five weeks left. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the next question for me is, do you do elections or do you do appointments? You know, Murray brought up an interesting point about elections are important because then you get buy-in from the, from the leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, to me, the, what you need to avoid in the leadership or in the elections is the popularity contest, you know, like uh, I thought it was pretty interesting that Murray, you know, first year player put his hand up and then went straight into the presidency, which is, you know, great for him. But I, I think that's not going to be the normal, you know, not normal. That's going to be the, you know, the oddity there. So my concern is how do you avoid the popularity contest? So I, I'm yeah, usually in favor of appointments, but you know, I could be swayed. It's, a, it's an interesting one. I think it's, it's probably more an individual club basis thing of how your club likes to work, uh, probably how engaged are your adult off-field leadership. Um, I like the idea of having the team kind of sign off on it, um, but I also i am a big believer in appointments. I think we have to work as coaches so closely with our student leadership to ensure things don't fall apart. So you have to have someone who you can trust and you uh, is reliable to go to the school. So you send them a message, hey, listen, how's that eligibility up and coming along? Like, you know that they're going to deliver that. Or do you know, hey, I put my field requests in. 
it is the time to decent and they're going to go and do that correctly in a timely manner and they're not going to get screwed over by having to play off campus or scramble the last minute to try to get something. So those are all critical things when trying to select or have those people pointed and so on. Like you're making sure you're getting those right people because that can set you up for massive failure if you don't get it right. Yeah. So the typical way I always did it is that anybody that wanted to be a, a position give them something make a title give it to them start delegating stuff and then the ones that don't answer respond you can drop them off and just you know and then you can kind of whittle down to those that want to do work if you want to do that in the fall when you come back i think that's probably fine but as far as the big stuff the president the vice president whatever those the ones that you need for the school i'd be doing the turnovers now so so kirk just to wrap that before we dig too deep but you know the main positions you want to get is your senior lead, your senior leadership in terms of the key guys, the president, the VP or whatever else, the people who are involved in the school, get those in place pretty quickly. I think it's also probably pretty poignant time, particularly we've got a little bit of downtime to think about what positions you want without probably belaboring the point too much. Like what would you, what do you think might be an ideal kind of student leadership structure for a club? Yeah. Uh, and I just want to go back to your vocab. So to me, yeah. uh, this is like either executive or student leadership. I would probably use those terms. Senior leadership mm-hmm. to me is like the playing is like the, the core group of players Good that point. you need. To, yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, the, to me, how would the ideal setup be? I, I think you need a president, uh, obviously, you know, and then like a treasurer who's going to handle all the paperwork as far as acquiring stuff. I would honestly really probably put a social media manager on there, you know, to make sure your Twitter and your Instagram is you're constantly putting out content. Um, and then if they have to have a liability or something, you know, put a liability person to help with, you know, the concussions and this and that I, to me, the travel, I think should probably not be a student, you know, to me coordinating with the opposing teams and, and booking buses or vans or hotels and all that stuff. To me, that's a little bit too more important for a student to do, but if you want to do it, go for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, to me, it's just a, it's just a couple as far as the executive student leadership. And then if you want to have some more ancillary, you know, uh, positions, the other big one for me was always the equipment manager, right? Who's going to pump up the balls. Who's going to make sure jerseys are washed that the other thing I would do is I, the president got, didn't have to pay dues. And for us, it was the, it was the equipment manager didn't pay dues. He had to wash the jerseys. We'd buy him the detergent, but he washed the jerseys. He made sure the balls were pumped up. He made sure that the equipment room was, was clean and organized so we didn't get in trouble. Um, but maybe the social media manager, if they start doing a good job, maybe maybe don't make them pay dues. But Yeah, so like reward them, make it a reasonable one. A lot of these kids like this stuff to add to their resume. I, I was surprised at how many people, and Murray brought that up too, how many people actually really feel see this as a value add for their resume, which I think is great, particularly when they're young. Two, I think it's great lessons for them to learn. But I think the third one is, you know, you're giving a financial reward. That's, you know, it could be up to 500, depending on how much everybody's dues are a year. That's that's $500 in savings. And that could go a long way and makes them be a little bit more accountable to their actions too. I think when you do that. Yep. Okay. Cool. So that's student leadership. Uh, the next thing we got to be talking about is the playoffs. So we've got uh, regular season all, all those field requests better be in, right? But we need to start now looking forward down the park. Um, remember, two, three, and four are going to be hosting the quarterfinals. Uh, and then the top two remaining seeds will host semifinals. And then um, top seed will host the final, right? I mean, the FRU is not going to put on a – unfortunately, we don't have any other activities with the FRU to combine. So we're probably just going to be doing the college on a home we, campus, right? 
which is the way we've done the first couple of years of the FCC. Um, it's hard because our timelines, if we were aligned with the adults, which I think would have been way too early, not way, it's a week earlier, April 9th, it wouldn't have, I think it could have worked out, but I think it would have just log jammed our season a bit too much. Um, so I think. Ideally you know, in the future, we try to do this as a hundred percent. But, but you, what, you, what you don't want to do is you don't want to take away from the rest of the season because right. we all were hell bent on matching up with the men's programs. Yeah. And often we can get lost in that wash too. I think the college, the colleges do a really good job. I, I've been to a couple of these and I think that, all the teams do a really good job of wanting to host and to, to put this on and make it special. And I think that making it special for playoffs is super important, both for the players, the fans, the traveling teams, everybody. I think it's really the more of a deal you make about it. I think it's something that will make add more value to you as a club too. you know, having, having, getting to play a home playoff game or even, you know, Florida state's clearly in the front running to be the host of the home you know, stay, and then there was a lot more water to go under the bridge, but like they, like imagine them getting to host in Tallahassee a championship game, that'd be kind of cool. So like those, those are all really unique things that I think this brings up too. Yeah. So uh, if you are, have the, we can all look at standings. We can all take a look at, see where we're potentially going to end up. If you potentially can host a home quarterfinal field request and be in, if you think you're going to have to be traveling for the quarterfinals, if you need to get buses or vans, start putting that request in. Do the same for the semifinals and do the same for the final. So start getting your request in because the yeah, last my, thing you need to be, you know, most most schools have a 14 or 15 day notice. So get out in front my, of that. My, my recommendation is everybody just put them in for both home and away. It's always easier to cancel uh, a week out than it is to try to get a field a week out. So you should be putting all three weeks in if you know you're sitting towards the top if you're sitting towards the bottom you should be putting in travel requests in for those weeks to um just it's much easier to make that happen a long way out there and then have to cancel it and you can you know i don't pretend to know everybody's school thing but you can you can i'm sure they won't care if they don't have to give you money to travel but they will care if they have to give you money to travel and you're putting in a request the week before after you win the semifinal. And, oh, now we're trying to work out how to host our championship. And we're scrambling when everybody should have yep. those dates roughly locked in. So, uh, you know, the last point we talked about student leadership. So if you have your stu new student leadership, this is a great opportunity for them to get, uh, you know, some experience doing it. So um, there's ways to, you know, get some synergies there. So, uh, yeah, get your requests in. The next thing we got to be doing is communicating. Right. So communicating with the opposing team. I mean, you want to talk about this one? Yeah, I think this is really important. A lot of teams have a lot of logistical kind of components when it comes to traveling. One is, you know, what times are we got to leave? What time are we got to get this? The kickoff time is critical. Uh, the location is really important. You know, the timing of the socials. Is there a social? Is it not a social? You know, are you trying to play a B-side game? I know even in playoffs, B-side games tend to not be as a priority, but you may want to bring... 30 guys and if both teams agree you can play a little bit of an extra game at the end just to give everybody game time while they travel but that doesn't need to be the 100% priority but all of those are the details that I think need to be given out as soon as possible and I think as soon as those that last week of games happen and Kirk announces all the matchups I think it's really important that everybody who's hosting turns around and communicates straight away with their traveling team to ensure that they know the logistics that they have to plan out because there isn't a lot of turnaround time in this. So the sooner we can get information to everybody, as much information as you can get, 
would be the best would be my advice. If you are going to play reserve grade, I highly recommend you play it first because the last thing you're going to want to do is if you lose in the playoffs is have some players have to go out and play again. So, oh my God, please play that reserve grade first. That would be, uh, I think from um, a, from a mental standpoint, that'd be really tough to ask the players to play some more. I'm going to disagree with you on that one, Kirk. I think comes the playoffs, we're going to put priority into the first grade there. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And, and the reserves. So a lot of us will have guys who play both and we're not quite got the numbers to roll out a separate bench. And I think we would rather have our fresh reserves and then everybody else to get in. A culture in my club, at least, is that the first grade is there, post their game to help facilitate the second grade scheme as much as possible. Um, yeah, the reason I bring this up because what you what we can't be doing is saying one thing and doing another. And so to me, the if we say there's going to be a reserve grade game, it needs to happen. And, and, I, and I just to me, the 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 mentality, you know, like I'm just not sure what type of mentality is going to go into that game, you know, like. And, and, I, and, I, th- and I think that has to be an honest conversation at the beginning. I, if you I, lose, are you guys going to be able to stand up a game? And that would and that would be my point with it. And it may not be and be like, hey, listen, we're not going to play a reserve grade this yep. week because you know this where everything everything from here on out you know quarterfinal semifinal final is all about first grade and the reserve grade should have already played all their games so everybody's yep. each to their own and i think i think there is no wrong answer on this one kirk i think it's if it can happen great but it shouldn't be forced whereas i think in regular season games you should be teams should be if a yep. team is traveling to play a red reserve grade game they should try to roll out and make sure that your the uh, traveling team is capable of getting that reserve grade game in. I, I'm with you. You know, like the regular season is all about develop. So the regular season is all about development, right? The playoff is about now high performance, you know, now it's mm-hmm. all about. So um, yeah, like I'm with you as far as in the regular season, like forcing reserve grade games, you know, because that we need to be developing people, right? We need those 16 through 30 to be developing for the subs for the first grade and also developing for first grade next year. Right. That's the whole Agreed. 30 is a new 20 podcast where we talked about that. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Perfect. All right. Uh, so uh, what about, what about what would we think about like those playoff games? How do we get more spectators there? How do we create a better atmosphere for that? Kirk? Like I, I mean, thinking about that a lot. Like I wish, I wish on my sidelines, I could get more people there and I wish it could be more a better environment. So I'd love to hear some thoughts around that. Yeah. How do we increase spectator experience for our home games? That's a, always a really tough question. And I think, I don't think it's stuff that we think about very much, you know, like we are always focusing on players and we're focusing on coaches and we're focusing on complaining to the referee, you know, but I don't think we ever take a step back and think about how does this look from the outside or how can we increase the spectator experience? So um, yeah, like one, to me, we need to be, we need to be really instituting the spectator sideline and the player sideline and the, what that helps us do is put all the spectators on, on the one side and then all of your non-playing players need to be on the spectator sideline because the purpose they need to be over there is to help explain the game to people that don't know, you know? And what we want is we want our spectator sideline to be louder than our player sideline. So, you know, as far as the coaches and stuff like that goes, like no yelling because we're not in this stadium packed with thousands of people that the crowd noise is going to overpower like a coach we're out on a f- open field 
So if we're there screaming our heads off, people can hear that. And I think that's probably a bit not as attractive to people that don't know the sport, you know, like, so I think if we as coaches and then the players, you know, like we're on the sideline and we're cheering on positively as opposed to like negatively yelling about stuff, we create that positive energy on the sideline. The spectators will pick up on that on the far side of the field. They'll provide a bunch more energy. And then that energy from both sides is going to filter into the game. And it makes it more fun for the players. So, I mean, I think if you talk about this is a playoff game, winner, go home, this, that, and the other, I think you'll get more people out. And then, you know, when you, when you bring them, have your spectator sideline. I mean, if you can have some bleachers and stuff over there, great. Um, have some people over there to help explain the sport, you know, you know, maybe have a DJ over there with some music, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's a great idea. Are you going to, you know, do a national anthem? You know, do you want to get the color guard to come out? Um, yeah. I, I think, mean, I think, I think the first piece I kind of want to dig at too, there is a little bit of something that I've really, the spectator and the coaching and the reserves is really important splitting that. And I even think it's to the point of, your non-dressed players. So if you're not dressed for first grade, let's say you got the first grade game in, the guys who are not dressed for that need to be on the other side of the field. And I think what happens is if you have too many voices in your box, it gets really hard for the referee and even the players to divorce what is a spectator and someone who's just cheering or making a comment versus what's actually officially coming from a coach or something like that. So you could have a whole bunch of people screaming at a call but they have no idea. They don't even know the laws around it correctly. And they're making a, making up a thing. And then the referee thinks that we as the coaches are making comments around that. Well, I had that experience last week where I, and basically we had to stop the game and just send everybody who wasn't in my box area, wasn't an active player. If they weren't wearing rugby kit, they had to go to the other side of the field. And that was, that made a huge difference to the rest of the atmosphere on our sideline because they could just go over there and they could make whatever comments they want on that side of the rope. And it made it, made it a lot easier on us and on the referee. I felt like. Yeah. And I also think that the players will respond to the energy the coach puts out. Right. And so if the coach yells about a comment, guess who else is going to yell about that comment? All any other like spectator on that mm-hmm. sideline, but you put the spectators on the other sideline, it doesn't matter. Right. Like they're, they're not going to feed off the energy that the, that the coach is putting out, but the players still will. Right. And so I think if yeah. you, if you kind of divorce the, those big groups, it also kind of takes the energy down. It kind of takes the pressure off the coach a little bit. They don't have to be going up and down the field screaming because that, you know, I yeah, think no, you're, I'm, you're I'm, on I'm, an Island a bit more. And so like, just chill out in your tech zone, you know, talk to your players on the sideline, you know, like if a bad call comes through, you can just tell your players like, Hey, you know, I would like to see this happen or this or this or this happen, you know, like, but let the players play, you know, like the more that you're yelling in as a coach to the sideline, the less of the player's head is in the game. Agreed. But, Agreed. but so yeah, go ahead. no, I was just going to say like, that's, it's super important that we create that. And I think it just adds to the whole atmosphere of what's going on to the event. And I think kind of like digging back to the original question of like, like all the teams do a really good job these days of Instagram of like posting what, when the game is game times, all of that. I wonder what else we could do to promote, to get more people aware of what that happens. And I find a lot of the teams don't announce until Thursday or Friday. Do you feel like that's too late to announce? Or do you think they could be doing it multiple times? Like, I think as we roll into playoffs, I think this kind of social media marketing to getting more people out, I think will be really important. 
So yeah. I would just kind of get it, gauge what your thoughts might be around that to kind of add to that atmosphere. Because if you have more people out there, I think it's just going to add a lot more to that. Totally. I mean, yeah. As the moment you have the game time sorted, yeah, start blasting it out. You know, like call the local media. Who cares? You know, like they don't know what the hell this is or not what it is. You know, like talk about the state championship and all that type of stuff. And sure, blast this mother. You know, get as much media attention on this as possible because this is a big deal. God damn it. Okay. Great ideas. So your your ideas would be blast it out everywhere you can. Get as much people in there as possible. Um, make sure you got you, ropes. Make sure you got make, ropes. Make ropes sure you have ropes. Ropes both sides of the field. Full length. What about, at least on the spectator sideline. Get a DJ, get some music going. Um, you know, just kind of create a better atmosphere there around that. I, yeah. I think those are all great. And I think, you know, like a playoff game is a good time maybe to engage your alumni too, is what I, I imagine too. The alumni always want to come see a really exciting game. And I think that playoffs is bound to be an exciting. We're all towards the end of the season and we're playing much better rugby. And you can just see the improvement week to week from everybody is just coming along leaps and bounds. And I think that's COVID due. That's due to the fact we've all got so many brand new players. We've got so many injuries. So we're now, I think everybody's starting now to finally get their groove going and get into gear. So I think come playoffs, it's going to be really exciting games. And I think we could really push that promotion of the college teams to get some more people out, even just rugby, local rugby people out to come, come watch the team. Yep. And real quick. So yep. uh, ropes on the spectator sideline. And then I know on the tech zone uh, sheet we have, like it says that the players can be in front of the rope on the player sideline, but yeah, I, I, I appreciate, you know, just put a rope two, three meters off the, off the touch line, everyone behind the rope, even, you know, inside a tech zone behind the rope to me that's like the easiest thing to do in the world but um yeah that's you yeah and, and, and just to dig into that i think the most important part is on the if depending upon your field setup but if you like florida state's a good example there's you can put a rope there which i think is great as long as you have a technical zone and then that player's sideline where the bleachers are and all that on the player's side that both sides are aware that no auxiliary extra people need to be there everybody else needs to go to the other side and i think if the, both coaches could work on that i think that would change it and would limit the amount that you actually really needed the road because once coaches are in a technical box coaches and players in a technical box it's it's pretty easy to control that sideline from there because they're in a very confined space right and then um coaches can't go on the field you know you're not supposed to go into the tri zone to get scored on you can if you are going to go you have to be taking water you know like maybe you take the cone out to the kicker or whatever so but- what what about this this is uh, again, I would like to use Florida State example, but they always have the water runners running in pennies, and we've kind of taken that on too. So I think Ronnie does that too at FIU. If you yeah. have people go on the field, you have to be wearing a penny. Um, we try to limit the coaches that can go on there. You know, technically, according to World Rugby laws, the coach can't enter the any coach can't enter the field unless invited by the referee. Now, if there's an injury, there's I feel like coaches should have their right just to go on and to tend help tend with the injured player and understand what's going on with that. I think that's normal, but in the stoppage of play where you're talking about it or, you know, you know, the end zone, even if the coach is standing at the end zone, shouldn't be coaching the players in the huddle that should be on the players to do that. Right. Yeah. Like if, so if you're like Austin wants to sit in the dead ball zone, that's great. You know, he also has walkie talkies to his coaches on the sideline. Yes. Give the communication back there communicated into their water carrier so they communicated it right like let's let's start going more professional on this type of stuff but you know no coaches if you have a coach on the spectator sideline 
he needs to be a spectator, not yelling in and coaching, not in front of the rope, right? Nobody on front of the rope on the spectator sideline, full stop. And then, yeah, if you're bringing in water, you got to have pennies because it's like a thing for the referee. The referee needs to know who's on the field and who's not on the field. So if you got players running in water bottles with a jersey and no penny, there's no differentiation, right? So now you have too many players on the field, blah, blah, blah. So put them in pennies. Put them in T-shirts. I don't care, right? If you have a player that's going to be – and another thing, pick out who's running touch now, right? Like you know you're going to go to these playoffs, pick out who's running touch, yeah. get someone assigned to that. The other big one is make sure you got medical coverage, right? Make sure we have trainers. Yeah, trainers just – so I, I think we've, this question was asked to us uh, earlier in the season, Kirk, but trainers are technically not a requirement from a league standpoint, but most of us have school requirements. They can't play in a game without a trainer present. And trainers are critical at our level. I think there are so many injuries and, and they must be at every game. So I think right. it's really, really important that we have them in place. And when you book your trainer, book them there an hour before the game time. So they're mm-hmm. to help. Right. And then whatever you need to do, like get them there before and they need to stick around for a little bit, whatever it is, pay them, you know, like nothing is nothing in the world is free. Pay what you got to pay. Agreed. Okay. Well, uh, great. But yeah, right. let's, let's blow I, out I these playoffs. Let's blow out these playoffs. I'm excited. I think like you were saying earlier in the podcast, I think this is probably the closest year ever. I know we've had a few strange little eligibility things, but I think what that has done is has created for a wild, quarterfinal matchups i think this is going to be super difficult to catch even tomorrow's game the unf usf i think it's going to be a real battle and i think it's it's definitely and it has playoff implications this late in the season you know so it's 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 kind of exciting so we we're not going to know the final standings until the last game is played i mean i think every game is going to have playoff implications so Every game matters. Every game is tight. You know, like this is the easiest thing to get the players to buy into, right? Because every one of their actions is going to have a bigger impact on the game. So these games are more fun for the players and all that good stuff. Last thing I want to touch touch on before we wrap it up here is um, end of season debriefs, right? Uh, Not looking forward just to the end of the season, but look forward to next year. How do we know? what we did this year, like what new activities we did this year, what worked, what didn't work, what do we want to keep? What do we want to like improve on? And, and how are you going to find that information out? Do you talk to your players enough to see what they liked, what they didn't like? You know, are you talking to your assistant coaches, you know, like as the head coach, are you giving your assistant coaches enough time to make it worth the effort to come to training, right? Like how much time does an assistant coach need and this is an individual question, uh, how much time do they need to, in order they feel like their time is um, needed? Or, you know, like if you have, if you have an assistant coach that comes out to training and he only gets 10 minutes to coach a, a session, is that enough time for him to come and stand around for two hours to drive to training, stand around for an hour and 50 minutes to get 10 minutes of coaching in to, you know, so like, how, are we having these questions how are you getting that information? This is an open-ended question that I'm going to leave for you guys. And then for your student leaderships, all that, like, how do you know what's working? How do you know what's not working? I highly recommend you guys do end-of-season debriefs. Um, and how you do that is going to be on you. If you have questions, give me a shout. I can give you some of the stuff that I did in the past, but I don't want to belabor on this type of stuff. I'm not trying to get preachy. But, you know, I want us to grow. And I want our clubs to get bigger. I want us to have more coaches. I want to have more players. All that means is more revenue. We can do more cool things. We can have more cool things on the sidelines for the playoffs. 
if we had the revenue for it. So the question is, is like, how do you know what's working? How do you know what's not working? How do you know what helps with, re with retention, what doesn't? And uh, yeah, I mean, if we learn these lessons and we keep improving, you know, the, the, this is where we need to get to for us, for us to grow, right? And eventually, a couple of years down the road, you know, I want to take this conference from a D1AA conference to a D1A conference. But in order for us to get there, we got to be big and strong, lots of revenue. We can handle bumps and bruises. We can handle travel, all that stuff. But uh, that's all I got. Evan, you got any closing comments? No, I, I can't match that soapbox you just got on there. So uh, I mean, we'll, yeah. uh, we'll, call it a, we'll call it a night. And I uh, appreciate you having me on again, Cook. And uh, so we'll see everybody come play or oh, okay. a couple more weeks of regular season and then, then playoffs is here so it's kind of exciting it's gonna be great i'm really enjoying it i really appreciate everyone's effort energy all the players coaches everyone like it's been fantastic so um yeah it's a great year more good stuff to come so thanks guys enjoy best of luck yeah.